Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining us as always on Thursdays, one of my best friends in the world, one of the great radio producers, Dwayne Generalissimo Patterson of the Hugh Hewitt Show, back on Thames. And Dwayne, uh, you know, I, 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 I was going to call you a uh, the, the greatest radio producer of all time, and then I decided that I needed to walk that back. So I called up Jen Psaki to find out how to do that. Yes, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, great, uh, great to be with you. When you hear when you hear somebody say the expression "great radio producers," uh, that's like saying an exceptionally clean tractor hubcap. It just, it just, I, I don't know. You know it, just, it, just, it just doesn't. It doesn't have you know the the ring to it. It, it should otherwise have, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but you know, the thing about this is, you know, I I don't have a I don't have a bulldozer license to do backfill. You know, clearly they're handing them out at the wash at the at the White House. You know, uh, like candy, the 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 necessary licenses for backfilling. Uh, so, so we're we're going to get into this. Uh, in fact, we can play the clip. I've I've actually got it cut down to about seven seconds. If you let me, if you share me, let me. Let oh, me I got to you mean I've got to actually do some produce. prep? For, I got to produce. You actually have to produce, yes. Oh well, um, who knew that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who who who'd have thunk it? So, <laughs> um, yes, there is a a clip out there that Joe Biden said yesterday that is going to that uh, almost immediately had to get um, cleaned up and bulldozed and and backfilled by Jen Psaki. Uh, let's see if I can go ahead and play that cut. Here it is. Oh, I, I, I think he is a war criminal. I think he is a war criminal, says Joe Biden. Right, but that was right after he said no. He was asked by he was asked by a reporter, right. "Is Vladimir Putin a war criminal?" And he said bluntly, "No." And then he walked but, away. And then he came back and said, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute." Because I mean, yes. because I because I think he misheard the question, and then he got confused, and then he said, "Yes, I think he is a war criminal." To which Jen Psaki had to walk that back because um, there's 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 a there's a specific thing that comes with calling somebody a war criminal, and we have a we have a legal process through the State Department. Says Jen Psaki, um, you know, the president he was just speaking on behalf of somebody who was watching TV and just was reacting emotionally. It's not as if the State Department issued a policy that said that. Um, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin is a, a war criminal because there is a there is a legal process, a, a series of steps one has to take to be able to go down that road. And clearly, that's not what he was doing. Basically, what she's saying is, if Joe Biden were to somehow spontaneously go on TV and say the butler did it, it's always the butler. The butler is always the one that does that. It's only because he was watching Murder She Wrote reruns the night before. Uh, yes, I think that's a great. <laughs> There's only now, one reason why they're walking this back, of course. Uh, do you want to play the Saki clip before I get to that? Uh, I can play the Saki clip. It is cut number 16. I actually have that here. Let me... This is what you get when you when you bring on a radio producer who actually does show prep for his radio host. You, you, yes. You, you get the benefit. You get the benefit of all these cuts. <laughs> You you do get you do get that kind of benefit. That is uh, that is entirely uh, accurate. Let me uh, play 
this one by Jen Psaki. It goes slow like this. The president was answering a direct question that was asked and uh, responding to what uh, he has seen on television. We have all seen uh, barbaric acts, horrific acts by a foreign dictator uh, in a country that is threatening and taking the lives of civilians, impacting hospitals, uh, women who are pregnant, journalists, others. And I think he was answering a direct question. So, so let, let me summarize what she just told you there. Joe Biden was speaking as an individual. He wasn't speaking on behalf of the Biden administration, right? Right. That's kind of what she was. That's kind of what she. The, the pith of the gist she was laying down there. Well, I think what she's saying is that Joe Biden is an unreliable source for Joe Biden. Yes, um, and, and here's and here's the thing. This is not the first time. It's not the second time. This is, to my count, the third time of his administration we've actually had Jen Psaki roll out the Joe Biden doesn't fully represent the Biden administration uh, line. If you go back to April of last year, we were going through the border crisis, right? We were yes. going through the migrant camps, all the, all the kids being separated from their parents, locked in cages, and all the brouhaha that was around that and whether or not it was a crisis. Now, everybody, of course, saw what was going on at the border as a crisis. It still is a crisis, but the White House steadfastly refused to refer to it as a crisis, right? Right. Except, of course, Joe Biden, over the weekend, this was around April 17th of last year, he's, he's uh, doing a weekend interview, and he slipped and referred to it as a crisis. And as soon as he did that, um, the White House immediately, through Jen Psaki, released a, a press release and she followed up at the press conference the next day and said, this is a CNN report. This isn't even at you know, Fox News. This is CNN's report. According to the Biden White House, what Joe Biden says does not represent the official position of the Biden administration. Quote, the president's use of the word crisis uh, or, or of the crisis label doesn't represent the administration's official position. So she had the backhoe going then to try to say that Biden doesn't represent his own his own administration. Now, flash forward to November of last year. OK, now we are into um, a town hall, actually October of last year, October 21st, I think. This is when Joe Biden held a town hall on CNN. And during that town hall, a questioner asked him, Hey, I saw that China just uh, launched a hypersonic missile. Uh, we, we, we do have ways of, of, of taking care of that, right? We're, we're going to be able to keep, how, how, do, how are we going to keep up with that? No, oh, by the way, are we going to defend Taiwan if China attacks? And Biden says now famously, yes and yes. And then he went on to talk about uh, how forcefully we would enforce the uh, Taiwan Relations Act and come to the aid of Taiwan in case China were to invade which got the foreign policy wonks on Twitter a flutter because up till then we had a, a, a concept that was called strategic ambiguity. We don't refer right. to them as Taiwan. They're the Republic of China officially. Um, we don't want to say entirely that we would actually jump and rush to their fence because we still want to court China and we don't want to piss China off like we're pissing Putin off now. There is a strategic ambiguity thing and Joe Biden had none of it. And 
I, we praised him at the time for it because it was the right policy, right? right? If Taiwan is attacked by China, we need to come to Taiwan's defense. There's a bunch of chips at stake here. We've got a lot of vested interest in Taiwan being Taiwan, right? Right. So he throws a strategic ambiguity out the window, except, of course, at the White House press office the next day, in which Kevin Liptak, writing again over at CNN, uh, writes that Jennifer Psaki said, no, we haven't changed policy. No, we haven't abandoned strategic ambiguity. Joe Biden was speaking off the cuff. He was not changing policy at all. Nothing has changed with our uh, regards to our friends uh, just off the shore of China. We have this Taiwan Relations Act. We will uphold the, ta the Taiwan Relations Act. But she wouldn't call Taiwan Taiwan. We're not going to recognize it. We're not going to formally uh, recognize her independent. None of that. She basically did the same thing. She said Joe Biden was speaking off the cuff and he wasn't representing his own administration. This is not the first time today or this week that we've had this kind of line before. No, no, it's not the first time that we've had this sort of walk back. And but it is probably the first time that we've done it to benefit Russia. And you have to ask yourself why, because don't forget in between those two points, right? Biden calls, Biden says no to the question, then turns around and says, oh, by the way, I meant yes. He's a war criminal. I think he's a war criminal. Then Russia responds by saying it was an unforgivable remark from, uh, uh, you know, from one world leader to another, uh, you know, completely disrespectful. And now know, what I, what, what I don't know is the chronology of it. No, I know no, the Biden, chronology was immediate, immediately after Biden said that. Before Saki walked it before back. Before Saki walked it back. Okay, so that's perfect. That's just that's just perfect and, appeasement and cowardice. And, and the reason why is because of Iran. Because yeah. the Biden we administration have... is so desperate for a deal with Iran that they are allowing Vladimir Putin to be the uh, to be an interlocutor in this at, at Iran's request, um, in this negotiation and to be a guarantor of Iran's compliance with, um, with, with, uh, you know, a, a they're bar. not going to comply. Well, everybody I mean, knows I mean, they're not I mean, going to comply. Even beyond that, Dwayne, it's incoherent because at the same time he is using Putin as an interlocutor to guarantee Iranian compliance. What's he? What is this administration saying? They're saying that Putin might use tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Might use chemical weapons in Ukraine. That they're creating pretexts for both of those things. Well, if they're going to do that, how the hell do they uh, act as a compliance agent for Iran? On they nuclear don't. weapons. They don't. They of course don't. they don't. There, there is a $10 billion financial stake that uh, was uncovered by Adam Credo over at the Free Beacon yesterday yes. as part of this deal. Yep. Uh, again, as part of this deal, we're allegedly going to take the uh, IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, off yeah. of the international terror list. Um, yeah, nobody, that today. nobody has killed more people across the Middle East collectively over the last uh, decade and a half than the IRGC, right? The last 40 years. Right. I mean, if you consider their, their ties to Hezbollah and, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've been sending proxy armies out in the field. I mean, Hezbollah killed, what, 241 Marines in So we're going to legitimize, we're going to legitimize and make righteous the IRGC just so Joe Biden can say, I've got this piece of paper. We've got peace in our, we've peace got in peace our, time. In our time. Yeah, just so he can play uh, Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, I mean, it's idiotic. And even the House Democrats don't want this deal now. No. 
No, because they see what's happening, especially the Putin connection. I mean, how do you justify? How do you justify uh, using the Russians on this? Europe is saying, yet, no, we don't want to do this deal well, right now. Well, I don't know if Europe's really saying that. I think Europe was, um, I think Europe didn't want they're to. Tapping, they're certainly tapping the brakes. I'd say that they're clearing their throats. I don't think they've actually tapped brakes, but I do think that they're clearing their throats on this. But I mean, it's just, it's it's unjustifiable. It's, it's incoherent. It's insanity. But here you've got Jen Psaki circling back, you know, after the Russians complain, saying, well, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process. He was just really talking about his own personal feelings. Joe Biden doesn't represent the United States, despite what that election said. <laughs> It's, she it's came insanity. out and talked about the Iran deal yesterday, and she said it's in Russia's interest to do this deal. Of course, now, it is, because we're given the because we're giving them a sanctions evasion. I understand that, it. but the last thing that I want to hear is an American press secretary while Russia is threatening nuclear war on the continent of of, of Ukraine and committing war crimes and a and a and a and a genocide basically. Um, when, when, when that's going on, I don't need to hear the American press secretary say that, well, we need this deal and Russia needs this deal too. It's in their best interest. I don't give a flying flip right now what's in Russia's best interest. Exactly. And neither should the rest of us. And and that includes Iran. I mean, at this point, what we want to do is we want to make sure that sanctions are tighter, not looser. <laughs> I mean, the yes. idea of sanctions and you hear a lot of people complain well sanctions never did never worked sanctions actually sometimes do work i at least at the very least it limits resources for you know such for for i mean it's beyond it's 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 beyond parity for words so serious i mean if 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 we were talking to whoever the current author is of the tom clancy series and 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 that author was was you know doing a political thriller you know a, a, you know you know the the the, the the political stuff of, of inside DC and this kind of an idea, this kind of a war going on and that we would be negotiating with that same agent uh, in a deal with another terrorist group that would be to the you know detriment of everybody involved. If somebody pitched that as a plot line, nobody would, it's, 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 it's not a, it's not a, a plausible plot line. Nobody right. would believe it. You know what else is a implausible plot line that actually, actually played out today? Did you see? Uh, well, first off, it, you have to understand the the, the run up to this, right? Elon Musk challenged um, Vladimir Putin to single combat with Ukraine as the stakes, and uh, was it Dmitry Rogozin? I forget who Dmitry Rogozin is. He's um, one so of the... <laughs> so. How does how does Elon Musk have the have the pink slip to to Ukraine in his pocket? I I don't know. It's it's, it's is... not it's not like they're street racing cars. No, it's not like they're street racing cars. The whole thing is just incredibly stupid. This is, you know, I like Elon Musk for in, in certain ways he's, and in other ways he's, he's just he's, he's quirky. He's quirky. You know, he's eccentric. And and as it was explained to me once, eccentric is the word that you use for insane when you're talking about rich people. Yes. <laughs> and I think that that's exactly what what we're talking about here. Um uh, Dmitry Rogozin is the uh, director general of Russia's space program. Uh, after uh, after Elon Musk um, sent that tweet out, he he sent a response back, um, uh, the uh, calling him Elona, 
which is, of course, the, the Russian feminine uh, version of any name. If you see ah at the end of a name, it's the, it's right. the feminine version of the name. And um, it led to this little... What's transgendered in Russia, by the way? How do, how do, you, how do you transgender a name? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put a whole string of letters, LGBTQ. Um, I see, okay. But, um, but into this, into this, uh, into this ring... Climb somebody who actually probably could kick Vladimir Putin's ass. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Did you see his video this morning? I did not see Arnold's. What, what, did, actually, what did Arnold say? It was actually really good. It's about a 10-minute video, and he says that he's going to try to send it through his channels uh, to try to get around um, Russia's uh, propaganda uh, iron curtain. To try to, and he's, It's very good. He reminds people that... Um, yeah, you know, of his uh, emotional connections to Russia, he was uh, um, his he was inspired to go into weightlifting by a, a Russian weightlifter when he was a boy, and um, traveled to Russia. Made the first Western movie or first American movie at least in Russia. Um, what was it called? Red something or other. Red 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 corner. He played a cop, right? He played a Russian cop that comes hmm. to the United States to solve a murder. I forget what it was. It, it's you know it was. Typical Arnold early '80s or mid '80s type right. of affair, right? But, but it was the first one that was allowed to be actually shot in the Soviet Union at the time, and he's got a lot of fans in Russia, and so you know he 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 talks about how you know how he loves the Russian people and how he loves Russia and that and then says it talks about his father who um, hated the fact that he liked Russians because his father fought for the Nazis in Leningrad. And was bitter about the Russians uh, ever after. And he says, I don't want you to be programmed like my father. You know, and uh, I mean, there's going to be a couple points in here that people aren't going to like. Like he, he refers to the January 6th riot as an effort to overthrow the government. And I know that they're on the right. People are just going to have a hissy fit over that. But it's for a purpose, right? This is a very strategically uh, delineated speech. And he does a great job in this. Of course, he yeah, has, I mean, he's, it, a, he's it, a Hollywood producer. He's an actor. He's a Hollywood producer. He knows how to do this stuff. Right. But if, if you're, if you're talking about overthrowing a government, look at what's going on in Ukraine. That's an attempt to overthrow a government. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the point that he, that he makes yeah. too. I mean, uh, he, he says the war is illegal. You've been told that there are Nazis there. Zelensky is a Jew. Three of his family were, were, were uh, killed in the Nazi Holocaust. There are no Nazis there. Um, Russia started this war. Some of your, some of your sons didn't even know that they were going to war. They were told that they were going to be going on maneuvers. It's, it's really good. It's actually really good. And he has, I think enough credibility in Russia to, for people to actually pay attention, which makes this, I would argue a, a, a very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Patriotic is not really the right word. Cause we're not at war with Russia. Um, but it's a it's a it's at, at the very least it's uh putting himself at least out there to whatever extent he can to help ukraine out so i i just found it to be a, a really good effort worth what you're saying what you're saying is he was actually trying to uh contribute more than billy jean king contributed yes yes okay. god bless billy jean king but yes i think arnold's actually trying to trying to and of course billy jean king isn't going to have the same draft you know in in russia that arnold will because right. he was popular guy there. He is a popular right. guy there. So this is a guy who's using whatever leverage he has to try to get the right thing to happen. And so kudos to him. I, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm, I haven't always agreed with Schwarzenegger. I think he, I think he, 
uh, coward and ran. <laughs> he was governor. Um, he uh, he is. He said, uh, you know, I will be the terminator. I will destroy these unions. I will get California back. He tried to stand up to the unions. They squashed him like a little bug. And he did the old brave Sir Robin and ran away. Yes, he did. As a politician. But as a politician, nobody's perfect. He's trying to do what he can do here. And I think that that's I think that's commendable. So if you get a chance, check it out. I'm going to have a post coming up about it this morning. By the time this podcast goes up, it'll already be up. And it's about 10 minutes, but it's very well produced. It's very well done, uh, very personable and very personal. And I think that that's exact. I mean, it's this isn't this. At least he doesn't lead off with a whole bunch of, you know, political rhetoric. He's making personal connections to people. And I think it's smart. It's a think it shows more leadership than, well, at any rate, um, <laughs> anything, anything shows more. Well, you saw I mean, the Washington Post front page yesterday, I did, right? <laughs> I did. Now, now and, and the thing is, if you're Joe Biden, yesterday was your worst nightmare, right? Because uh, Vladimir Zelensky gives a joint address to Congress, what, a month after the state? Uh, not even. State, not weeks. even a full month af- after weeks. the State of the Union, right? It was, it, his Biden's speech was two weeks ago. It was on March 1st. His was well, okay. March 16th, you know, 15 days later. Okay, so it's two weeks later. Um, what's going to have more impact long term? Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean the 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 contrast was just simply unavoidable, and that was mostly what the Washington Post coverage was about too. Is that you know their their big banner headline for hours on that was Zelensky demands leadership, or I, I'm I'm paraphrasing now. Zelensky either demands leadership from Biden or or you know asks for leadership from Biden. Um, because Zelensky made that explicitly clear at the end of his speech, you know, you're the leader of your nation. You need to be the, uh, the leader for world peace. Well, um, I mean, John Kennedy, you know, God bless him from, from, uh, Louisiana. He's always good for a, you know, yuck here and there, but he said, come on, you know, everybody knows who the leader of the free world is right now. And it's not Joe Biden. It's Vladimir Zelensky. Yeah. He is, he's the de facto leader of the free world right now. Yep. Yeah. And, and it showed, right. It showed. So. That's what prompted the war criminal thing, and that's what prompted the the, the Putin thing, and then Jen Psaki's well, walk and, back. And 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 the and the eight hundred million dollar, uh, you know, hey, look, hey, Shazam, we just found eight hundred million dollars laying around the couch here. Yeah, we can we can use that to buy some of these Stinger type missiles and and a, and a couple of guns and a couple of shotguns and and sure, why not? Let's let's give some more stuff to Ukraine. I'm fully on board with that. After the joint presser this morning now i understand they they probably planned that but the optics of this ed it looks like he's just reactionary and not trying to it's entirely reactionary this is this is the hallmark of joe biden it looks like he's being dragged kicking and screaming to this you know and and i want to bring this up because i was on the air this morning with chris stiegel you know one of our great salem radio hosts uh, out of philadelphia and um, and he says, you know, I'm worried that the that this is really just Obama's team pulling the strings and that Joe Biden's not actually making any decisions. And I told Chris, I said, no, I actually think that this is classic Joe Biden. He's leading from behind. He's you know, he, he's going back and forth as the wind blows. This is classic Joe Biden. We we talked to Mitch McConnell uh, just what, 30 minutes ago uh, or, or well, actually about an hour ago. And when we talked to McConnell, 
um, he said, look, this is a Joe Biden I've always known. He's been wrong on everything. He yep. said he's, he's a nice enough guy personally, I guess. But, but you know, it's like what Bob Gates said. He's been wrong about every foreign policy decision for 50 years. He's just he just doesn't know this stuff. And he's reacting. He's reacting off his heels. Right. Exactly. All right. We got a few minutes left. I want to talk about another reaction. Um, <laughs> this morning, we found out that uh, uh, Jeffrey Zients, who's been the uh, COVID czar for the last uh, 14 months for the uh, Biden administration, is out in his place. Ashish Jha. Now, they don't call it COVID. They forget what the title is. We, we, COVID czar is a is a shorthand for this, but Jeffrey Zients was the guy who was running the, the he's the director. He's the director of the COVID task force, right? Right. Okay. Been running, been running the COVID policy all along for, um, uh, so for why Zients? I, I, I never understood the Zients thing. And here's the interesting part of this. Joe Biden picked two different people to run the pandemic, right? Zients, who's not a doctor, not, has no, no experience no, in he, medicine. He's, he's the politico type to, to try and 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 you know play play you know yeah, executive management. Yeah, yeah, right. He's. I mean, he's, he's, he's also not. He's an entrepreneur too. I mean, I don't want to sell that part short. I mean, that's the kind of guy that you kind of want to see go into government, but maybe not right. in, in that in that sort of role. Um, and the other guy is Xavier Becerra, who's mostly known for suing people about <laughs> about medical issues. Who There's knows? No, it? Yeah. No he's medical former, training whatsoever. Former congressman, former um, attorney general for California, and again doesn't know the first thing about uh, about medicine except um, filing class action lawsuits against against drugs that uh, have an you know adverse side effect. So, so bear with me on this. You know, it was it was about uh, three weeks or maybe maybe four weeks. I think it was February twenty fourth, February twenty fifth. Impact Research comes up with this. Uh, memo. You remember the Impact Research memo? This is Democratic pollster Impact Research. Uh, published uh, a memo, yeah. Dwayne. Yeah. Telling Democrats, if you expect to be able to compete in this year's midterms, you guys really need to declare victory over COVID and depart the field. You got to stop all the, all these interventions. You got to stop with the mandates. You got to stop with the- Monty Python, right? Run away. Run away. Run away. Run declare, away. Declare victory. It's, it's, you know, we'll call it a draw sort of thing, right? I think I think it's more the Black Knight thing, right? It's like right. at this point, you need to call it a draw and uh, and and hope that everybody leaves you alone. Um, it, so Monty Python terms, and they're urging Joe Biden to do this in the State of the Union address. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't do it in the State of the Union address. In fact, he uh, you know makes mention of the fact that well, we're still you know we're still going to have to take measures. Blah 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 blah. But at the same time, this memo comes out. Or actually, just before the memo comes out, about a week before that, Anthony Fauci suddenly disappears off of everybody's television, everybody's national televisions, right? Because Democratic governors around mid-February started repealing mask mandates because voters were about ready to break out the pitchforks and torches. And Anthony Fauci at that point goes out and says, no, 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 you can't do that. That's a bad idea. And then all of a sudden, Anthony Fauci disappears. This memo appears. Biden doesn't take that advice. Uh, then you have an Axios poll last week. I think it was about a week ago. It said that 66% of Americans are done <laughs> with this, um, with the extraordinary interventions. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, Zainz is out. And now you've got an actual doctor, Ashish Jha, who, uh, who has been at least a little bit more uh, rational uh, in regards to COVID. Measures. But Zainz didn't ever come up with policy. 
Sean's not going to come up with policy. I don't know that that's true. No, it's a CDC. Walensky's the one that handed down the the, the edicts. No, well, well, uh, yeah, but who is who is Walensky reporting to? Walensky was part of that task force. Part Jeff of the task Zients, force. Jeff Zients, ran, task force. Jeff Zients ran that whole thing. He ran I the whole thing. I understand that. But, who do you but, think? Who do you think the unions were going to? To get who do you think the teachers unions went to to get Walensky? No, they went to Zients. They, they, went went, to, they went They went. to the political fixer, <laughs> and the political fixer is the guy who told Walensky, no, you're not going to do that. They weren't going to Walensky. Okay. <laughs> they, were going, they were going to the person Walensky reports to, the guy who reports directly to Biden on this stuff. That's you're telling who they were me, going to. You're telling me you don't think Walensky had any direct communication with uh, Randy Weingarten? Oh, I'm sure I'll bet, that there I'll was bet, some. I'll bet, I'll bet you she were, they were I'm on sure, speed dial. I'm sure there's some, but I'll bet you that Randy Weingarten knew damn well who was running policy for, okay, for, so, for the Biden administration. So Zines, so because Zines, it wasn't just Walensky. It was also Fauci at NIAID. Then why wasn't Zients the one that was out out front instead be, of the other two? Because if you're in that position, you want you, you, your, your job isn't to be out front. They were looking to put medical people out front. If they had put Zients out front, it would have been a huge target all along by saying, Zients isn't even a doctor. What the hell is he talking about? They needed a Walensky. They needed a Fauci to go out there and sell this stuff because they needed the medical credibility to make the sales. Pitch. So but don't, is, don't is, kid is yourself this... at all. That was Zients the whole time. Okay, so so is this their way of this is changing the messenger without changing the message? No, I think they're changing the message. <laughs> And they're getting and they're and they're getting Zeins out of the way. No, because I think that the whole point of this is to pivot. And they were hoping to have some sort of dramatic, you know, number that would allow them to do that. Don't forget too, a month ago, six weeks, six or seven weeks ago, the CDC suddenly said, Oh, we're gonna start filtering out correlation and focus only on causation for hospital I, admissions I, and deaths. I, yeah, that I hasn't happened that. yet. That hasn't but, happened yet. But but this is still this is still a, a sclerotic federal government we're talking about here. They're not ready to do that because Rand Paul this week came up with a bill that the Senate voted on unanimously. Democrat, Republican, every Bernie Sanders, all of them, every single one of them. The bill that Rand Paul uh, did was to reverse officially the mask mandate on public transportation trains buses and, and planes right it passed unanimously now it was supposed to go to the house i don't know if nancy pelosi is going to scuttle it or if she's going to allow the vote if she were to allow the vote you know damn well that the house democrats would vote overwhelmingly to reverse that because for the same reason they got to get out from under this right right for their own political survival joe right. biden has already announced if it were to pass the House, he would veto it. Now, I don't think it's going to matter much because even if he were to veto it, it's going to pass in both houses with a big enough majority. It, it would override his veto anyway. If they decide to come back to do an override, which they might not decide to do, right, if he vetoes it. But uh, again, if they don't do that, then this whole pivot change goes out the freaking window. We'll see. We'll see, but it certainly looks like there's a pivot coming, and that's the reason why, um, and that's the reason why you're you're getting this. Now, as for Fauci, 
Fauci actually did make an appearance this week in a major. He didn't do a TV hit. He did a Washington Post hit. Um, and when he was on, uh, interviewed by the Washington Post, he said, you know, this fall, if the Republicans win, they're going to start investigations. They're going to come after me. It's going to be like Benghazi all over again. I did see that, yes. So wink, wink, nod, nod. You know what's at stake this fall in the midterms, says Anthony Fauci. Right? I think that that's actually going to backfire because I think there's a lot of people now that want to know what happened with the CDC. And masks are bad, no masks of course. are good. I, I, to I, I totally agree with you. But I thought Fauci was science. I thought Fauci was not a political creature at all. Yeah. Um, if he's worried about the midterms and saying, here's what's at stake in the midterms, if you people don't vote the right way, or leaving that you know, uh, in, insinuation, um, that's not the sign of a non-political person. No, it's not. No, it's not. Which is, I think, again, the... Fauci's being sidelined, I think, is actually the biggest signal that there's a, that there's going to be a major shift here. The if CDC, there's going to be a major shift. Oh, I think there's going to Fauci, be a major shift. Because Fauci it's Lewinsky so unpopular. Fauci. It's so, well, they might He's end up doing that too. He's years old, bouncing. Okay, so so Ja is coming in. Do you think Ja might have some ideas about who to put in those positions? She might. Is, but, is she Ja, uh, he or she? Excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, 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 thought no idea. Was, I thought I thought I thought that was you know it's a, maybe I should find that out. Uh, I am not trying to mispronoun somebody. I have I I mean I know the name. I haven't. If I, she is if she is a medical doctor. He. He he, he is he. a medical doctor. He's a medical doctor. Yes. Okay. Does he uh, does he uh, specialize in uh, pathology? Is 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 he a specialist in in autopsies? Does he does he come at things with a side and 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 and, and he's and start... a he's an internist physician and an academic ser serving as dean of the Brown University School of Public Health. I mean, this guy's got pretty good credentials for this type of position. Well, he should be he should be a medical examiner, and he should have two slabs pulled out uh, pulled out from the from the cooler, one for Walensky, one for one for Fauci. I, he I, needs I, he needs to come at them with a side. I, is what I, he needs to do. I think that. This is a first off, I'm, I'm convinced that this is a shift. And secondly, I think it might be a personnel shift, too. You bring in a doctor to replace the doctors. I think if I think if Zeins did that, it would be way too. Then it, then it looks political. It, then it looks way too political. If Ja does it, maybe not so much. Maybe it's just bringing in a fresh team, a fresh look. Right. This is this is a shift. The CDC had already kind of signaled this. With its well, we're going to start looking at causative rather than correlated again, data. Then why is Biden still holding on to, and and, and in the process of threatening the veto, he says he says I I don't play politics here. I'm only doing this because of the science. I will you tell know you why. as well as I, I do will tell you why. Science. Go ahead. Go because ahead. they got burned on this last year. Remember when they were all ready to declare Independence Day from COVID, and yeah. then Delta popped up. They got burned on it. They got torched on it. And then he overreacted to that by imposing all these different, you know, mandates, vaccination mandates, right. you, know, you know, that never panned out, that he didn't have the authority to do in the first place, that never actually went into effect except in federal workplaces because he could actually do it there. Um, I mean, it was all this nonsense overreaction to that. And that's the reason why at the White House, they're probably saying, 
we're going to hang on to a, we're, we're not going to go all in on this but they're going to shift and you're going to see in the next few weeks under Ja, they're going to suddenly it's going to be all peaches and cream oh well you know this omicron bca.2 thing yeah we're we've We've got as it. soon as it's, as soon as handled. as soon as Fauci announces he's got to go spend more time with his family, um, then 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 they don't know the it. change. Then they don't believe it. the changes in. All right, all right, we're 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 just about out of time, but you got to tell us what's coming up tonight on your show <clears throat> and tomorrow morning on the Hugh Hewitt show. Well, what better on a St. Patrick's version of? the uh of the after show then uh, that, that's that's hosted by a patterson than to have a morrissey on um great you know, we, great idea <laughs> we, we we might as we might as well you know spread the blarney around as much as we possibly can and uh and cover whatever is uh going on in the news today uh i'm sure we will you know develop more of these things i mean who knows fauci's head could be on a on a plate by by the time we we are on if if uh if they're really serious about this um who knows? Um, it could be. We will talk about uh, the updates. Uh, we got to talk about the Iran deal. We got to talk about. Yep. There's all sorts of uh, uh, stuff we've 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 got to cover tonight. So plus everything um, that happens today. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, y- you keep reading and you keep hearing that there is uh, there is a truce. There is some kind of a settlement that's that is afoot, and that this war could be over sooner rather than later i'm hoping it is but with uh zelensky basically all but guaranteeing that he's now saying uh fine ukraine will not join nato not now not not in a good long time that's that's at least in theory uh that's the premise that putin used to 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 start this whole thing now i think it was a false premise i think it was a a bs premise to, to begin with but since that was his premise for starting this, an existential threat, we can't have Ukraine, a NATO state, uh, on our border. If you have a pledge from Ukraine not to join NATO, um, there's no reason for this thing to continue. Exactly. All right, what's coming up in tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show? Well, um, we are going to have a talk with Dr. Larry Arn, like we always do. Uh, Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee will be on. Um I'll just even preview a little bit on Monday. We're going to have a, a little chat with uh, former Attorney General uh, William Barr, which will be kind of fun. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yep. So, uh, by so, the way, the I, I should I should make note of this. One of the things we'll have to talk about tonight is that the New York Times is now reporting that, you know, those Hunter Biden emails? Yeah, they turned <laughs> out to be legit. <laughs> um, speaking of, did, did, did you find it kind of curious about Joe Biden talking about Hey, you know everybody knows somebody that takes uh, pictures of uh, uh, naked pictures of their of their, of their um, people they're in relationships with and, and puts them on social media when it goes bad. I, I got to tell you, I think that those two things are related, and it was my first thought when it popped up on Twitter. Is like oh. everybody everybody knows somebody like that, and you know what? Everybody does know somebody like that. Everybody knows Hunter Biden. What we do now. Almost in the biblical sense, do we know Hunter Almost. Biden these days? All right. Almost. On that note, we've got to say, we've got to say so long. Actually, what we have to say is slan awalia. <laughs> okay. And, I, and, uh, yeah, okay. You're gonna you're gonna out Gaelic uh, me here. That's that's uh, that's that that's I, I I don't speak a lick of the native tongue. So uh, all well, I can tell I'll, you I'll all I can tell you is 
it's not that we're saying farewell. We're we're just hitting the pause button. Slang it will the foil. Slang the foil is, is, is will, the right it, term. The conversation will resume in uh, in about what ten hours. Well, in about ten hours it will resume, and so slang the foil means so long or goodbye for now. And uh, and Dwayne will be back. I will be back on Dwayne's show tonight. So be sure after you've watched the podcast to tune in uh, in the universe, H-U-G-H-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com, the troll-free web surfing experience for Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners. Until then, stay tuned right here for more from the Ed Morrissey Show. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me now uh, is uh, former congressman, former ambassador to the Vatican, Francis Rooney, who joins us to talk today about the uh, the need to contain a sort of a neo-Soviet Russia. And uh, uh, Ambassador Rooney, again, so good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on and discussing this with us today. Nice to talk to you again, Ed. This is really a neo-Soviet uh, Russia at this point in time, right? This is a Russia that has gone back to its imperial roots. I mean, the imperial impulse in Russia predates the Soviet Union. Um, and I think we had this idea after the economic collapse of the Soviet Union that those imperial ambitions had been exercised, right, from from Russia. We are clearly seeing that that was an error. The same American naivete that also affects our 20-year relationship with China after they joined the WTO. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point. We have this sort of naivete. I think it's... Um, Naivete, uh, maybe just hopeless optimism. <laughs> you know, there's a, you know, there's there's an old joke that says, you know, the marriage is uh, is uh, uh, the the proof of hopeless optimism. I've I've just screwed this up a little bit, but you you know the the uh, joke I'm talking about. Maybe yeah. American foreign policy can be described the same way. <laughs> well, it's hard for Americans to do well in foreign policy because we always want to make things happen that we want. And sometimes in foreign policy, the hardest thing to do is to know what you can't do. And that gets back to containment and George Kennan, uh, the way we dealt with the Soviet Union the first time. And Ambassador Rooney, you have a piece up at the Hill. Um, and uh, it was actually up last week talking about the, this need to reset on containment. In, in the Soviet era, in the Cold War, containment really meant military as well as economic containment. Um, we're kind of in a position to be already sort of militarily containing uh, Russia, at least in terms of its access to Eastern Europe, excluding Ukraine and Belarus. Um, now we're talking more just about economic containment. Uh, how, how, much, how much more difficult or how much less difficult will it be to contain the Russia of today as it was, as opposed to the Soviet Union or the Cold War? Well, we obviously have a little more trade with them than we did after uh, World War II and when Stalin took over, we didn't have any trade with them. So it was just basically uh, making sure that we didn't have any trade with them and putting up the Iron Curtain, or they put the Iron Curtain up. But, you know, the uh, the military part of it is getting better. At least NATO's finally realizing what I wish they'd realized 10 years ago, and I wrote about it then, get some people out into Poland and the Baltics and Romania and Bulgaria. Don't sit in the back there in uh, Brussels. And hopefully they're going to do that and therefore raise the price that will cost Putin if he tries to do something that is seriously dangerous, which would be go after a NATO uh, party. We're starting to see that, right? I mean, there's already been transfers of uh, units to 
mm-hmm. Poland. Uh, we're, we're seeing probably more importantly to the Baltic states, right? Because that's really the, the, the biggest risk I think that NATO has is in the Baltic states, uh, two of which actually border Russia. And mm-hmm. of course, then you've got uh, Kaliningrad on the other side of them. Uh, where Russia has mili- a military base. Uh, so that's, we can turn that into an island. Right. And I think we're probably, I mean, just the, the facts, the way they are, it probably is going to make that uh, more of an island now. Um, after watching, it, it, but speaking of the military component here, and speaking of the NATO component, after watching the Soviet military, <laughs> I've been making this mistake all week, after watching the Russian military, excuse me, Ambassador Rooney, um, in operation for three weeks, do you think that the risk, uh, the conventional risk from Russia, it has maybe been vastly overestimated? Now, I, I emphasize conventional because obviously they still have nuclear weapons. Yeah, I think it has. I think they look more like Saudi Arabia versus the Houthis. These Ukrainians are giving them a lot more of a fight than they thought, than they bargained for. We're seeing these pictures in the media of stranded tanks and equipment that broke down and they left it. And now I hear they're just dragging anybody they can get to go down there and fight. So it's it's almost got that end of World War II desperation to it. It does. And there's news today. And of course, it's hard to confirm these things in, in the fog of war, but that the Russians may have lost their fourth general in combat in less than three weeks. I mean, what does that tell you about the readiness of Russian forces? And they're continuing to, to double down in a terrible way of going after innocence residences. Uh, this Mariupol uh, bombing this morning was terrible. Uh, I understand they shelled a couple of high-rise apartment complexes in, in Kiev today. Um, that's not doing them any good, and it's just drawing the world more and more united to confront them. Let's talk about economic containment. I think that there's been a very strong response. Uh, it was delayed. It has been probably too incremental, um, yeah. but, but it has been strong. Right. There, there's, yeah. At this point right now, it's been a fairly strong response. Uh, so I'm going to ask you two questions on this. One is, would it have made a difference if we had imposed what we have as of today, not the incremental approach to it, but as of today, if we'd imposed that three weeks ago today, the day before the step off in Ukraine, would it have made a difference in Vladimir Putin's um, decision to uh, to invade just from you know your observation? And two, what, how much farther do we need to go to, to convince them to pull out? I don't think uh, the delay has hurt us. I don't think it made any difference. Putin wrote 15 years ago that he wanted to get his property back and lamented the days of uh, Catherine the Great, et cetera. And he, he's been laying in the weeds for the best opportunity to do it. And I guess this is the one he felt was the right one. So at least we're there now with a lot of sanctions. Uh, there probably are more things we can do. I think it's very important that we uh, seize assets make it hard on these oligarchs that nobody around the world likes anyway. And uh, maybe we're going to have an oligarch-free world here. They'll all be cooped back up in the same apartments they lived in before the fall of the Iron Curtain. This is, I think, one of the keys, right? Because Putin came to power in part through the support of the oligarchs. Now, there's been a lot of argument, though, over the, you know, the succeeding 20 years that his power just vastly outweighs them now and so that they can't really act against them. Do you think that that's the case or do you think that if we make life miserable enough for these oligarchs that they have resources to decide to go a different direction, whatever that might mean? 
they may try. I don't know if they have the resources to accomplish it or not. We won't know until we see if it happens. I mean, you know, Putin has beefed up his internal security with his Wagner group. He's very uh, isolated. Uh, it might be hard to get to him. He might not be talking to these oligarchs, but uh, the, if they have the money and they are going to be severely curtailed in their lifestyle. So you just never know. I think putting pressure on the oligarchs is, is game one. That and cutting them out of the international transaction system, SWIFT. Yeah, the SWIFT thing, I think, is a real key here. And and I know that people in Europe didn't want to go there because it would have impacted the payment ability um, for some of the energy resources that they still have to buy. And this has been sort of this percolating question as to how much of this you cut off, how much of this you allow to, to, uh, to remain open so that there is a a window there, a diplomatic window with Russia and an economic window with Russia. Uh, at this point, though, it doesn't seem like they're responding to price signals. Russia isn't responding to price signals. Do we need to get the rest of Europe on board to completely cut off Russia from, from SWIFT, not just some of their banks and some of their oligarchs? Yeah, I, I think we should try to get Europe to join us in going back to uh, pre-1988, the Iron Curtain. They want one. That's what I wrote that op-ed. I said, if Putin wants a Cold War, let's give him one. We don't need him. He needs us. Now, unfortunately, Europe has refused to get themselves off of Russian petroleum. And George Bush tried to start that, and Schroeder wouldn't hear of it. Merkel wouldn't hear of it. Uh, at least this new guy realizes the magnitude of the threat now. But it's gonna, we're going to have to all work together to help uh, Germany particularly, but most of Europe overcome this well germany in fact is uh, i mean olaf schultz is really you're, you're right i mean it's almost a sea change in germany they're rearming for the first time in you know decades they're they're going to commit a significant amount of resources to uh to their defense which is something we've been trying to get them to do for probably decades as well um donald trump made a huge issue of this and they sort of pledged to do better and never really did uh accelerate that until now, and I think that the difference, Ambassador Rooney, is that now you have a real demonstration that Russia is a threat. And I, I, I think that they're you talk about American foreign policy, but I think Europe suffered from the same problem, which is that nobody really thought that Putin was serious about this. They thought he was just putting some pressure on that he was going to that he was going to squeeze the Ukrainians for some concessions, maybe um, get them to recognize the um, autonomy of you know Luhansk and Donetsk. Um, I think the scales have come off here, and I think that they realize that no, Russia's gone back to being a threat. This is the history is not over with, um, and I think Olaf Schultz is really leading the way on that. Macron, uh, give Macron and Boris Johnson, of course, credit because they've been pretty firm on this. But um, I mean, you have the, the the leadership in Hungary, and uh, oh, it was uh, I think it was the um, uh, Slova uh, Slovakians um, that were sort of leaning towards you know, Putin's way of suddenly righted the ship there. This is a wake-up call across the entire West, I think, right? Yeah, I think several of those countries' leaders went over to Kiev to meet with uh, uh, the, I don't know if they met with Zelensky or someone under him, but uh, someone from Slovenia, Croatia, a couple of Polish guys. Yeah, I think it's a it's a big change. You know, the, the, the Germany under Schroeder and Merkel just wouldn't hear of it. And President Bush tried right away to get them on LNG, and they just wouldn't hear of it. Now they're paying the price. Now, at the same time, I, I don't know how much you want to get into what the Biden administration response has been, and we can either discuss it or, or bypass it. It's up to you. But I, I mean, one of the issues I think now on the table in that is that you have this Iran deal 
that the Biden administration is pursuing with Russia as a guarantor of Iranian compliance, you know, at least informally as a, as a guarantor of Iranian compliance. And when you're looking at containment and you're looking at diplomatic isolation, this to me is, it, it certainly looks like a completely counterintuitive idea, if not just entirely counterproductive to that. How do you fit that into American rhetoric about Putin being at risk of using a chemical weapon himself or, or tactical nuclear weapons? I mean, this to me, it sounds, uh, it smacks of the type of incoherence that, uh, you know, mixed signals that can create dangerous situations. I couldn't agree with you more. You can't have it both ways. You know, I think the, the administration's done a lot of things right in this thing. And I'm really thankful that, that the president's exercised the kind of leadership he has on sanctions and, and clamping down on, on transfers of money and things like that. But we can't, we shouldn't be talking to Venezuela or Iran. We should say, these countries that are in Russia's sphere of influence are condemned to their fate with Russia, not us. I'm really aggrieved at this business of Venezuela. It makes zero sense to me to be talking to Maduro's people after all this time and all the things he's done in that country. I, I, this is uh, amazing to me too, because we're at the same time we're curtailing, or at least sending out signals of curtailing a, a scalable American production of oil and natural gas here. Uh, certainly, which would be useful, would have been useful all along to have that as an option uh, as part of the type of economic containment that you're talking about. And I've argued this a number of times that the Biden administration came into office with a strategic advantage on oil, with the ability to uh, seriously uh, impact oil prices to keep Russia and Iran, for that matter, from uh, profiting enough to go on adventures like this. I don't know if it would have prevented Ukraine, but it certainly would have been a much better pressure point if oil was still at $40 a barrel rather than I think it was $96 a barrel uh, when I looked at it earlier today. Yeah, and it would have been a lot better in hindsight if the Biden administration did not ha had taken advantage of our energy independence, like you say, and not tried to destroy the oil and gas industry just to placate a few radical pro so-called progressives. Right. I, I also want to talk about something that I think you bring up that's very important in your piece at the Hill. And you, you, were, you were talking about this last week, and, and I don't think that much of the United States or Europe has caught up to this, which is the importance of piercing the propaganda bubble in, in Russia. And I think that this is a very, uh, a very good way to start to leverage some of that moral authority that we used to have in the Cold War by demonstrating how much the Kremlin lies to its people, regardless of whether it's the Soviet Kremlin or now the Putin Kremlin. And I'm not sure that we've actually put a lot of resources into this, even though we've had months of a run-up. Well, actually, we've had eight years of a run-up to what's going on in Ukraine right now. Yeah, I don't know what the Agency for Global Media is doing right now. I I'm a very big fan of theirs. They've done a fantastic job in Iran with their Farsi broadcast. They have over 20% market share in Farsi. Uh, you know how important, impactful the predecessor Radio Free Europe was in the Cold War. Right. Uh, and, and I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, that is a great weapon that we have. So what kind of resources should we be throwing at this? Bearing in mind, of course, that Putin has already started to act to cut off all the different social media platforms. I mean, the, the social media platforms may or may not have, I mean, certainly well-intended 
by cutting off access in Russia. But I think that that was, when I was looking, I was going, you know, I kind of understand why you want to do that. But maybe you should think that through all the way, because this is a great way to reach ordinary Russians in a way that um, that you're not going to simply be able to do by going out on the air. Now that those are sort of off the table, though, I mean, the Radio Free Europe, the Voice of America, those types of things are probably going to wind up having to take the lead. Yeah, I'm not an expert in technology by any means. I could barely get this Zoom working. <laughs> but but I, I do think he's fighting a losing battle. I mean, even the Chinese, every time they shut one thing down, something else pops up. Technology seems to be like a metastasizing tumor that can pop up anywhere. So hopefully we can harness that to our advantage. As he shuts down one app, somebody else starts another app. Someone sends pictures of what's going on in the street in Russia. So we know they had a real demonstration, you know, like the old green thing in Iran was. Right. Right. And so, I mean, I think that that's this is a key part of this is trying to trying to get past the propaganda. One thing I think is going to help with that is when all these Russian soldiers start coming back from Ukraine and tell a very different story than what Putin's been telling. But yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's something that maybe he didn't think three moves down the chessboard about either. Well, but Also, um, see, be, being an autocrat, I don't think Putin realizes the power of freedom. Hmm. I think he just thinks we're a bunch of American weenies that, that have these great beliefs, but they don't really mean all that much, that he it's all about raw power. Well, freedom's pretty important. Look what's happening in the Ukraine. And some of that may bleed off in Russia, too. I, I think so. I think you're right about that. I think uh, the more that the Russian people learn about that, I think the more it's going to bleed off about that. Um, one thing, though, about the propaganda bubble, and this is something I think that you're going to have a little bit of uh, extra insight into, Ambassador Rooney, from your time at the Vatican, is the role that the Russian Orthodox Church is playing in this. I mean, we've seen, Archbishop, I'm not sure how much you followed this, but Archbishop Kirill has um, had a couple of uh, very well-publicized sermons in which he was saying that this was that this war was necessary to preserve, you know, Russian brotherhood and to, you know, defend Russia against gay pride parades. I mean, it was really incoherent stuff. Um, now, this is a guy who was, you know, the Vatican was trying to woo for, you know, completely other reasons, trying to heal the rifts of, you know, Orthodox churches and 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 the Western Church, you know, very legitimate things. The Vatican has started to become a lot more critical of Kirill at this point. Um, how important is it how important is it to putin that he's able to maintain that sort of endorsement from the russian orthodox church and how how much influence do you think that the vatican's going to have with them or um or other churches across europe well i think the vatican's role in this is kind of like the agency for global media we just need to be an opposing force and see where we can get the message out but the Orthodox Church in Russia is a, is a propaganda arm of Putin, has been for years, and everybody knows that. And uh, I think that Pope Benedict got a, a real huge awakening when he went up there and gave him some kind of icon, and they didn't give him anything back. I forget the exact details of it, but uh, I'm glad to see that the Pope is stepping up a little bit and criticizing them. And we need to call them out for what they are, which is a propaganda arm. And Indeed, indeed. Last question is about China, because you, you brought China up before. Any effort to economically contain Russia is going to have to deal with the fact that China is simply not going to be interested in doing that, right? I mean, we're going to have to set some incentives there as well. How do we navigate that? Because obviously they share a very large border together. The, the trade can pass back and forth without having to, to go through any other, you know, without having eyes on it. Um, 
how do we deal with how do we deal with uh, economic containment of Russia when China is a malevolent force on that playing field? Yeah, I may be wrong, but I don't really think China is that interested in Russia picking this fight. I'm not sure this is a fight that China wants picked. And you've seen them be pretty laconic. They do the usual, oh yeah, we're solidarity with our brother Russians, but they don't say a whole lot. And at the end of the day, this actually could work to their benefit because Russia's going to have to sell that oil to them. Right now, they buy like 25% of Iran's oil. So in some ways, they're going to benefit economically, but they don't want to lose strategically. Well, I think that's a, a good point. And I think that we're going to have to calculate how we can incentivize that so that they feel that they're benefiting economically. That's going to be a series of carrots and sticks. Well, I think the price of going after Taiwan just went up. He saw they're I agree with what, that. The world meet, what the world can do. I completely agree with that. I think that um, I think that that probably surprised people, not just in Moscow, but in Beijing, the, the, mm -hmm. rap, the rapidity in which the West woke up to what was going on here. I think is um, is probably a wake up call, which is a, a good thing. But I, one one really last qu question: the problem I think is that we've been sending bad signals all along, which sort of allowed this to you know the sort of this flabbiness in the West is got has got to have been at least somewhat encouraging to malevolent actors like you know Vladimir Putin and, and Xi Jinping. Do you think that will change? Yeah, I think all of our past leaders have some blood on their hands in this thing. Not yep. Maybe not all. Certainly Obama, when he uh, took the missiles out of Poland that George W. put in there, that's a pretty strong signal that we don't really care about Russia. And then when, uh, he, when Putin made his move on Crimea, Obama says, well, you're just a regional power. You know, whatever happens, happens. I mean, come on, that's not responsible. And we did the same with China. That We, we said, oh, you're in the WTO. You're going to be good. You're going to become a free capitalist society. No, not at all didn't happen. They just exploited us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, and I've said this a number of times, I think we've had four successive administrations that really underestimated Vladimir Putin to, to one degree or another, right? In, in different ways. But um, we've seen the scales fall off occasionally. Uh, certainly with George yeah. W. Bush, the, the invasion of Georgia did that. Um, yeah. But um, you'd think after the invasion of Georgia that other <laughs> people who succeeded George W. Bush might have might have gotten the idea, Ambassador Rooney. You would think, but they didn't. In fact, they went the other way. At least Trump sold the javelins to the Ukraine. Yes. Despite all of his cozying up to Putin and all that kind of stuff, which I did not agree with, at least he sold the javelins and they've come in handy. Hopefully President Biden can figure out how to get him a lot more of javelins and stingers and get a few Patriot missiles fired up over there. Indeed. Ambassador Rooney, um, let's go ahead and wrap up here, but where can people find out more about what you're doing these days? And um, and uh, Well, I, I have a Twitter and a Facebook account. I don't know what it is. Maybe someone could figure out. I've got a guy, <laughs> that, my media director, that handles it. I'm technologically ignorant, but we have about 50,000 followers, maybe 100 or something, you know. Well, there so you go, yeah. Things there. We'll publish all the op-eds and things there and well, let me let me just go ahead. It's it's at Rep Rooney is is on the on Twitter. It's at Rep Rooney R E P R O O N E Y, um, and you can start there. And uh, you've got twelve thousand followers over there. That's pretty good. Yeah, not all of them are favorable after a few things I did. <laughs> that I didn't agree with. <laughs> well, I feel your pain, Ambassador Rooney. <laughs> but thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to talk to you again today, sir. Ed, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. When we come back, more from the Ed Morrissey Show.